episode of Full Model RPG. I'm your host, Brendan Carrion, coming to you from the closet in an attempt to get better sound. We'll see how that goes for the rest of this episode. I feel like I already clipped out once. RBK, RBK, you're over there, man. Am I clipping? Am I clipping, bro? You, you clipped out initially, and then you leveled up. When you do, you're like, welcome to! It kind of... Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I got to fucking turn it down, Brendan. You're fucking clipping already, bro. All right, so uh, Richie's here. What's up, bud? It's good to hear from you. Uh, we got Ashley. Ashley, how you doing? Pretty good. How are you? Oh, super fantastic. It's just awesome. another wonderful day in the closet, bro. Uh, the, <laughs> the literal closet. <laughs> uh, and we're joined also by Daryl. How's it going, man? Good, good. Good to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you. Every time you're on, it's always good to have you, dude. Uh, Daryl uh, is uh, an alum of the uh, world-famous Wrecking Crew and the um, podcast, The Reckoning Podcast. So uh, it's always good to have you on, man, with some uh, serious RPG podcast shops. Thanks for joining us. Yep, yep. All right, so uh, how's everybody doing today? Everybody feeling feeling good about you know role playing and like the state of the world? Role playing, yes. State of the world, meh. <laughs> <laughs> garbage file yeah, was, got real hot. Yes. <laughs> the garbage file got real hot today this week. Yes. But we, we, the, we're recording. Role playing's great. Go ahead. Sorry, 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 Richard. Go ahead. That's fine. I, we're recording this on January tenth, which is like what, like four days after a bunch of like. Trumpistas decided to LARP like being <laughs> patriots or something, whatever they think that is. And uh, it c- caused four people to get killed. So, I mean, like, and then God I've... God knows how many COVID cases are going to come out of that, you know, because oh, I saw a lot of pictures and I did not see a lot of masks. Do you, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Well, and then there was part of the, the political rally they were encouraging uh, to, to hug each other and whatnot. So. I'm sure that won't have bad <laughs> ramifications. That's great. So, uh, all right. Well, I mean, cool, cool. I guess I'm, I'm you oh. know, anything that can help those, uh, those people like get more in touch with their emotions. I guess sounds kind of, mm-hmm. kind of good as for for a start. Um, is if you're wondering, had, today is, go ahead. Sorry, when I had COVID, I was like, there are a lot of anti-masker rallies. I should have just gone and given free hugs to everybody. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Biological warfare. I didn't. Uh, I would not. Never. Oof. But I could have. Yeah, you know, I, well, I, I, I'm sure that they would defend your right to do that. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, in case you didn't notice, this is one of our politics in gaming episodes. We're uh, this, this is this is the final one of our um, 2020 series, and we're finishing it up in 2021. Um, Richard and Ashley and Gabe and Daryl and I have been talking about perhaps, uh, keeping this one going. So there might be like a little kind of part two in, um, 2021. And we have some, some kind of juicy, uh, themes coming up for you guys, the cult. Uh, they're going to be a little more, I think, um, specific and maybe not quite as broad in general as they have been. Uh, but this is going to be our last one. And today we're doing post-apocalypse gaming and like how that kind of like what the politics are what the inherent politics and post-apocalypse gaming are uh and i think that this is gonna be an interesting one but before we get to that we got some shout outs um first first shout out is uh pretty pretty lit i gotta say we did get a brand new um 
review on the podcast and when i say brand new i mean september because uh i i i I don't know man i i listen to podcasts every day i should be reading this every day but so this one got past me in september um drew and md because and i i and i do this i do this because guys i said early on if you leave a review it gets read right and you can write whatever you want in it and we will read it. And so I'm reading Drew in MD's review. It's not very flattering, but you know, uh, and, and if you if you're on our Facebook page, you've probably seen it already. But here it is. This is uh, me, kind of like Black Library style, narrating our review. Okay, game theory, no critical race theory, one star. If you want an utterly miserable take on RPGs, this is it. The episode on Western RPGs was especially bad. If you need confirmation that the leftists are screwing with RPGs, it's here. A podcast viewing RPGs through the critical race theory lens. These weirdos need to lighten up. <laughs> well, uh, thank you for that review, Drew and MD. Um, I, I, I have to say I knew that the Westerns episode would ruffle the feathers of like fragile white dudes out there because sweet lord there is no territory quite so sacred to the fragile white dudes as the western where the white dude gets to shoot whoever they want you know in the name of god and like prophet or whatever um but you know all i have to say is you know thank you so much for listening i do appreciate every single listen every single download so thanks for listening drew i hope you keep listening um and uh you know thank you for your feedback uh, does anybody else have anything you want to say on that? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I think it stands on its own. I, I don't think it's quite as 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 daring and as as slap slapping as DM slide, but uh, you know, there someday we're gonna make some t-shirts of that you know say what people truly feel about us, just to you know really tell everybody else how they. I like it. You know, <laughs> uh, uh, to, to, to have somebody say um uh if you need confirmation that leftists are screwing with rpgs it's here i mean that just warms my heart in like the most yeah. fucking like dude i'm just like i was just like oh drew and md thank you for fucking making my day man because mm-hmm. that's that's almost like the nicest thing anyone's ever said about me you know what i'm saying like <laughs> like I yes. am screwing with RPGs. Like, good, good. I want to screw with RPGs. I want, like, like, part of my stated agenda is I want to change how RPGs are, and I want to change how the RPG scene is. And to hear that we're being a part of that, I mean, there's already many, like, much more talented and successful people in that scene doing much better work than we are, but to hear that we're playing a role. You know what I'm saying? I'm just happy to be mentioned. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and my thing about that when I when I read that was I'm I'm all for differing viewpoints and I think that it's important to not just have a reflection back at you of your exact same viewpoints on things. So I I think it's important to take all different sides into consideration for the most part. However, uh I think that's a great review of our show because anyone who agrees with that, like I don't know that I want them listening to us. <laughs> you know? So Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, not everything is for everyone. And clearly right. Full Metal RPG is not for everyone. And right. um, I think when Adam and I sat down and we did, we called out Zach Sabbath and we were like, OK, even because I mean, look, I don't, I don't want to humanize Zach or anything. But Zach had been very good to us and he had, he had been very kind to us as people. And, 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 and we were like, well, we, on some level, we have to look at what 
our relationship is with him versus what his relationship is with the scene and realize that like, we can't do that thing like where, you know, essentially somebody's being accused of like sexual assaults, but we're mm-hmm. doing the thing where we're gatekeeping. And we're like, Oh, I know him. He's such a nice guy. You know what I'm saying? We can't be part of that. Cause if we're part of that, then we're part of the problem. And it was at that moment that we realized we had to start using our platform to affect change in that way. And um, we've lost listeners. We've absolutely lost listeners. And to them, I say, via con Dios, you know, <laughs> get the fuck out. Like anybody who thinks that like, maybe Zach's like being dealt a bad hand or like maybe George Floyd had it come in or whatever. They can piss off. I don't even want to fucking hear about it. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you don't have a place at my table. You don't have a place in my life and we're certainly not going to game together. So I'm not going to somehow like clamp down my opinions and attempt to like, to get the listens, like the little download clicks don't mean enough to me to essentially like, sacrifice brianna taylor to society you know what i'm saying does that make sense yes yeah and and these the it it is the these uh reviews often give us so much influence right and i feel like we we talk to people and you know there's there's some reverb but like we're just we just doing more love you know we're doing the love you know and Mm -hmm. it's we're trying to make what we love better by saying what we think should be happening. Uh, I don't I don't see, you know, how that can be offensive, but apparently can people can take that as offense. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh the paradox of intolerance is something that like a lot of people don't understand, Richard. So, like it's a uh, it's like an idea that probably is like at the 8th grade level and you have uh, a, a successfully mastered it, but there are those out there who have not. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to talk down to them because I'm not, I'm not going to lower the quality of this show and the message of this show to somehow make them feel like comfy with the fact that they can't overcome like a really very basic and simple um, philosophical idea. Any hoosies on to the role playing. Um, we have uh, we actually have some some new patrons, right, uh, Richard? This is, I mean, one of the things that's very interesting to me is that in this era where we've been doing much more kind of like uh, topical content, and we have really been speaking out a lot about our personal views and how those personal views intersect with uh, the role playing community and the concept of role playing we've actually gotten a lot more patrons on Patreon. You know, I kind of thought it would be the opposite. I kind of thought that we'd like watch our numbers go way, way, way down. And Richard and I were talking earlier about like just canceling the Patreon being like, fuck it, dude, feel bad about this entire thing. But, um, people keep fucking joining it because the, and, and, and they'll send us notes and they'll be like, we like your work. Thank you for doing what you do. So how, you know, I mean, like, you know, we got one voice out in the wilderness being like, boohoo Westerns. And then we have other people being like, the work that you do is vital. So Richard, uh, we had a, we had a, a new patron. Can you tell us who he is? Yeah. Um, Bruno Pereira, uh, hit, hit me up on uh, the discord saying, Hey, um, I can't download this episode. And for some reason the episode didn't work. And was it, it was our, uh, V five vampire, the fifth, fifth edition masquerade, uh, review. And he was like, I can't get this to work. And I was like, well, um, here, let me, let me send you the link directly to the file. And here, let me, you know, I want, you know, want people to be able to come to us with any problem they have with us. And he just happened to have a technical question. And I happened to stock the discord because I prefer discord over all other social media. So 
we just we hung out and then he's like hey i'm gonna be a patron and i'm like welcome to the cult welcome welcome to the club uh and and i'm sorry that the discord is two years out of date we're gonna work or not the discord the the patron patreon is two two years out of date we're gonna be talking about that we've talked about it forever might actually get it done this time (laughs) (laughs) we're we're, we're, we're approaching it with the uh with the the alacrity of a like stalinist like politburo we're like five-year plan we're just gonna we're, (laughs) we're gonna we're gonna put that one as a point for the next meeting gentlemen like uh let us create a quorum um or you know the democratic plan to address the environment. Oh, um, anyways, <laughs> welcome Bruno. We appreciate you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining the patron Patreon. And uh, you know that we also shout out yo to Connor Boardman from uh, uh, Middle Earth Crisis and also from my fucking Esoteric Enterprises game. Connor is also a new patron and he came in hot with a with a, a juicy pledge. And I and I really appreciate Connor doing that. Uh, Connor is the kind of guy uh, he's. He, 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 he's, he's real shit, Connor. He's like fucking uh, knuckles up and he uh, is down with the cult. And of course, we're down with him. Um, Dungeon Punk, shout out Dungeon Punk, shout out Middle Earth Crisis, shout out Connor and Mark and the entire uh, Esoteric Enterprises crew. Thank you guys for everything that you do. And uh, you know, we wouldn't be we wouldn't be full metal RPG without you guys. You know what I'm saying? Like we can't we can't do what we do without you guys. So thank you so much. A lot of love to that uh, brotherhood. Uh, since 2015 seriously um uh keeping keeping that one alive uh so with that uh is it did we did we cover all the business there uh richard i believe we did wonderful let us uh get right into it because you know we always we skip the black hole on these um politics and gaming episodes because they're 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 big they're they usually are kind of big subjects and we like to devote a lot of time to them we just like to get right into the meat or the vegan meat, or whatever it is that you like to eat. Um, <laughs> let's lentils. talk about post-apocalypse gaming. So I think, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about this this week, and post-apocalypse gaming to me is kind of strange, because on one hand, my first take was, I'm just going to come in real strong, knuckles up, and I'm going to say, post-apocalypse gaming is libertarian power fantasy gaming. Because it's about dudes usually, and they get to wear armor, and they get to like drive around muscle cars and like shoot people that disagree with them. And I was like, the more I thought about it, the more I kind of like, like went over and over that idea in my head. The more I was like, it's not entirely true. That's not. I mean, like that's like that's like a weak point. That's a weak case that you could just like that you could just shunt out there. Uh, I think there's a truth to it. But I don't think that that's the whole truth, right? And if that is the whole truth, then, like, like, couldn't we just have, like, lumped post-apocalypse in with, like, Westerns? Are we just saying that, like, post-apocalypse are, like, Westerns reskinned? I mean, if my analysis is going to be the same thing, basically, right? So I dug a little deeper, and I was like, it's, what's one of the things that's interesting about post-apocalypse gaming is that you have a choice at the beginning of the game as to what it's about, right? Mm-hmm. And you can either make it about... Um, essentially this very cynical take on what human collective interaction is like, where it's ruled by savagery and violence, or you can make it about the hopeful power of collective action. And I think that there are games out there that cater to both of them. So I kind of want to hear 
what you guys have to say about this. What are your thoughts on uh, post-apocalypse gaming? Daryl, we haven't got to hear much from you today. Why don't you lead us off? What do you think? Oh, man. Uh, you know, post-apocalyptic RPGs is a genre I want to explore so much more deeply. Um, I've played Apocalypse World, uh, and I think Richie and I have talked at length about all the post-apocalyptic fun. Um, but, you know, it's as you're talking about, is it Wild West reskinned? Um, I think you hit it on the head that it is. it can be. But there are so many other ways that it can go. I, I was uh, thinking in my head about the different types of post-apocalyptic genres that there there could be. Because there's the wild outpost, you know, the immediate aftermath, the Mad Max, you know, as society crumbles, how how new societies are forming. But then you've got, you know, things like uh, you look at, actually, uh, uh, Star Wars is coming to mind, you know, the fall of the Empire and then the rise of the New Order. You, you've got... You, depending on what type of factions and what what type of angle you want on your game, you can you can flavor it a lot of different ways. You can flavor it just because it's post apocalyptic doesn't mean it has to be dystopian. You know, there could be a, a new fantastic light at the end of the tunnel. So you could do optimistic post apocalyptic, and and that's uh, sparked in my head now. So um, that's that's like you know, is, uh, legacy. There's a there's a PBTA game called Legacy where you basically play generations of people in the post apocalyptic. And every generation moves itself forward towards towards culture again. So it's kind of there. There are yeah, there are definitely examples yeah. of that sort of thing. So, well, and and uh, you just reminded me of Quiet Year too, uh, one of my favorite storytelling oh, yeah, 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 games. Yeah. Because if you set that in any type of uh, you know, it is it is post apocalyptic. Something bad has happened. We're rebuilding, and I've seen those games go either way. You know, they could be doom and interesting. And, then it, it could be i've played several that by the end of the game we were ready and and uh quote unquote won the game by being ready for the frost wolves so yeah uh you know it's 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 a genre that lends itself to a specific idea but i think that the creative gm can really push it beyond those those common tropes i i think you have a really strong concept here when you say that it's um that that post-apocalypse is essentially a game that's like ripe to be skinned in a certain way, right? Because my first thought was, is I, I was like, okay, well, post-apocalypse is basically Mad Max and it's basically a Western. And then I was like, well, the, here are the cynical problems that tend to come up in these games. And isn't that kind of like a lot like The Walking Dead? And I was like, well, The Walking Dead is post-apocalypse. And also it has a character who wears a fucking cowboy hat and like fucking settles things in this kind of like, you know, cowboyish <laughs> way, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I was like, and that is a post-apocalypse story, but it's also a horror story. And I was like, well, what if we expand our thinking about post-apocalypse to a post-apocalyptic horror? And I'm like, oh, holy shit, there's so much of this stuff. They're mm -hmm. like, if, if you count everything that is sort of like a zombie survival story, like mm -hmm. uh, there's a there's a really great fucking zombie movie called... Um, uh, night swallows the earth i think that's about like one dude who s survives a zombie he's, he's kind of like fucking the walking dead guy where he like wakes up having survived the zombie apocalypse and he's stuck in an apartment building just watching herds of zombies fucking meander around in the streets below him and he and it's about the a journey that he goes on emotionally and mentally over the course of time in his solitude and um it's fucking brilliant. It's a fucking gut punch horror movie that I fucking highly recommend to everybody. But it is also a post-apocalypse movie, right? Because because there's this question of there's all this stuff laying around, right? And what do I do with it now? Like, how do I get food? How do I get water? 
You know, you know what I'm saying? So, so mm-hmm. maybe, maybe, okay, Ashley, go ahead and give me some of your thoughts. Let's hear some of your thoughts on the Popeye's gaming before I get too off in the weeds. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that, one, it depends on what caused the apocalypse. So, like, at the beginning of the game, when you're determining if, uh, was it caused by zombies? Was it caused by a virus that went through and wiped out 99% of the population? Or was it a technology thing? I think that how it begins is going to determine how it goes. But regardless it's going to come down to resources. Any post-apocalyptic society, there's still going to be haves and have-nots. There's still going to be a power structure. Um, I think it's human nature to try and make things make sense. So there will be societies that rebuild. And I think that's the point when it becomes either dystopian or utopian. Um, mm. We've that's, got... That's, that's interesting. Have you have you read Cormac McCarthy's The Road? No. Uh, it's been recommended know. to me so many times. I just haven't sat down and read it. Well... As a person who who struggles with like the black dog, I would recommend like making sure you're not like in a vulnerable spot before you take it in. But mm-hmm. I do recommend that you take it in because it's a it's a brilliant novel. It's a brilliant novel about essentially a post apocalypse that actually exists outside of the options that you've given there. And so mm-hmm. I think it's worthwhile. It's like it's worthwhile to take in. Anyway, I interrupted Richard. Richard, what were you saying? Well, uh, I was going to say that I I really feel like there's. Two, I would call it two major kinds of post-apocalyptic games, mm-hmm. and that's one right after the fall, yes, and yeah. one that's like long after the fall. Yeah, that right. was going to be another point is at what point is this taking place? Because right afterwards, it's going to be chaos. And I think when, if you think that people who are... Um, We'll, we'll just say disadvantaged because I can't think of a better word right now, are going to immediately rise up and be able to overtake the people who have the resources right now, which is money is what it currently is in society. Um, it's not going to be that fast. You know, um, the if it comes down to resources, the people who are the haves now are going to have more resources than the ones that don't like it's not going to flip that quickly. So if you're looking at directly I find, after I find that interesting. Because I, f- mm-hmm. I feel like one of the tropes of apocalypse film and television is that um, the is that there's this concept of the disease or the you know the mm-hmm. zombies or the nukes or whatever being this great leveler that destroys institutional advantages, right? Yeah. Like 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 I'm watching The Stand right now, and there's this scene in episode <laughs> one where you see like. If spoilers, spoilers, if you're watching the stand, skip ahead a few seconds or something. But like you see J.K. Simmons and he's like standing in this bunker with Stu Redman mm-hmm. and he's like watching on all these screens as all of their as all this stuff that they planned for this contingency, which is for a fucking disease that they build, have just mm-hmm. fallen apart. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like the center won't hold. You know what I'm saying? And so then mm-hmm those institutional advantages are gone and it creates new opportunities for different kinds of people. And the, the story ends up being about like, well, what kind of people are going to take advantages of those opportunities? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, that is something you see in movies a lot, but in reality, I absolutely don't think that's how it would happen. I think that Mm. the way that we fund our military, there's no way they're not going to roll out and immediately create these militarized zones. Like, there's no way that the National Guard isn't going to be deployed. And and I'm normally the optimist, happy, bubbly one. I don't know if it's the uh, shit that happened this week that's making me feel this way. <laughs> but I just, I, I don't think it would go 
well. And I don't think it would be one of those where everyone comes together. And I think eventually maybe it would get to that. And I would love that. But initially, it's not. Like, initially, it's going to be chaos. And the people who have the power, which at this point would be the military and people with money, are the ones that are going to start setting up this new society, if that makes sense. Interesting. I think one of the, I mean, I don't think you're, it just, it sort of depends upon the disaster. Um, yes. But yeah. uh, I think one of the things, you know, no, the logistics of deploying a military and keeping it working are mm-hmm. so, the, especially a modern military is so high that I think something like that would break down pretty quickly, depending upon the uh, disaster. If it was a technology uh, thing, yeah, because keeping in communication, I think, would be difficult. Well, it's not in communication, just having bullets, having the right bullets, having the right, uh, you know, it, there, there's so much logistics of the food and everything else. It, it's mm-hmm. so large that I, I think you're not wrong that in a, in, a, in a short term kind of realistic scenario that mm-hmm. you're it. But it sort of depends on what, how fast it strikes, too, because if it happens like a you know in a snap mm-hmm. organizing a you know a national guard unit takes at least a day so or at least tw- 12 hours or something something mm-hmm. you know if it happens you know like it, you know like eat the bombs drop like you you know you're there's no way the national guard could be organized before you know a couple days well, after I think, that i so. think as, as we sit here talking about like um what the military would do, right? What we're kind of talking about is a during the event kind Mm -hmm. of tug of war between the concepts of like order and chaos and the idea of kind of like fear and safety. Mm -hmm. And I think that those are interesting concepts that end up playing out in the full post-apocalypse games themselves. Like, um... Because I think I think part of the conceit of the post-apocalypse game is that whatever has happened ha- has 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 been like such a tidal wave of destruction that the old order is unable to withstand it. It's like whatever it is that's affecting the regular plebs like us is mm-hmm. also affecting the military. It's also affecting the executive branch, and this is like worldwide. This is global. It's not like it's post-apocalypse in America, but everything's fine in China. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like. Mm-hmm. So so um, so so really these concepts of like what is order and like what is safety and like what is what what's what kind of trades are you willing to make uh, for to, to gain security when you're in a state of fear? Does that make sense? I feel like these are the kind of like the bread and butter questions of the post apocalypse genre. What do you guys think? Yeah, I agree. And I think that a lot of um I think people like to put themselves in these situations. Certain types of people do because there are <laughs> Yahtzee. Yeah, there are a lot of people who um, I have met, and it seems to be a lot of people who enjoy role playing games, um, Warhammer in particular, for some reason. Um, mm. But they are very much like for the post apocalyptic world, I'll be fine. I'll be, you know, the lone gunman out by himself, just like the outlaw, whatever. And I'm just like, you would. If you are lucky, you will survive long enough to eke out an existence until you're you're until you die. Like you're not going to thrive. <laughs> you're not going to go out there with two pistols and be able to like hunt food and get water and completely like 
survive with all of these other bands of people that have come together. Like, that's just not how it's going to go. Ashley, I just want to say bless you. Bless you <laughs> for for saying the th- thank you so much for being the one to bring this up. I didn't want to mm-hmm. be the one that was like steering the conversation in this direction. But mm-hmm. like when you hang out in role playing society, you meet all these like fucking kind of like chuds. Right. That are. And uh, without putting too fine a point on it here, they're kind of like they're usually like your libertarian friend guy or your libertarian acquaintance or some dude at the store who has like a don't tread on me flag on his truck. And he's all like, and he's, and he'll come up to you. These are inevitably guys. These are never chicks. They come to, he'll come up to you and he'll say, I can't wait for the post apocalypse. I can't wait. I got so many guns. I got my, uh, MREs. Uh, I'm just going to get in the back of my truck and I'm just going to start like, uh, one shotting people to the head. And it's just like, Mm -hmm. and you're just like, so what you're saying is, is you're hoping that society melts down into a state of nature so that you can have an excuse to start murdering. Like, that's like <laughs> your that's like your big this is like yeah. your, you, you literally just said you hope it happens. Mm-hmm. Right. But there's some kind of like raging hard on inside of these guys that thinks that like. It's, it's this kind of like Ayn Rand bullshit where you're, they're like, oh, society's holding me back. And if only I was in a desert and I used football pads as armor, everybody would see what an <laughs> Uber mention I am. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, this is the uh, uh, the to me, to me, these are this is the target audience for that. The end of the world series from Fantasy Flight, the alien invasion, the robot invasion, the the, yeah. the, the, the uh, Cthulhu invasion. And I don't remember what the other one is, but like. <laughs> This is like this. These games are specifically like you sit down at a table, you're playing you, you have everything in your pockets. Go. Right. Right. <laughs> those, you know, that, thanks for bringing those up, Richard, because those are great games. And, I, you know, I've played one and it's really fun. Those are really fun games. Um, but like, I can't imagine who would take that game and turn, I mean, I can't imagine it, but like, I can't imagine what the fun would be of taking that game and turning it into like, me and my friends are like post-apocalypse hard asses as like a campaign, you know, like to me, uh, those, those games have this kind of, uh, visceral sort of almost kind of like masochistic, uh, Mars attacks slash dinosaurs attack kind of like, um, uh like uh campiness to them where you're just basically like well what gory way are we going to end because this is going to be real bad no matter what you know what i'm saying well well, also you get to find out you get to you also get to find out who which your friends is packing so uh Yeah, so uh, you know, packing are. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Daryl. While while we're on the subject of of talking about who plays these games, um, I, I feel that that part of my cultural background is relevant here because, uh, as as left wing and uh, as I am, I I come from a very conservative uh, rural Oregon background, backwoods country, mm. where one of our favorite games to play, and not as an RPG, but just as a sitting around the dinner table, was. Okay, the government's falling apart. Where do we go? What do we do? This is a dinner table conversation, and we would run through scenarios. Um, I wouldn't say that my my dad was a prepper, um, but we knew we had plans and backup plans. And uh, you know, when we moved out to, to the Arizona desert, we had to renegotiate all of our plans. Where is the safest place to go? Um, so while there's a certain segment that I think you're you're talking about with the power fantasy of I'm going to start shooting people in the head, there's an mm-hmm. equal number of people that. 
I personally get enjoyment out of the the near aftermath uh, era of a post-apocalyptic game just because it exercises my brain in a way that makes me feel safe uh, that mm-hmm. I have a plan, that I have an idea. And that's I love that you mentioned those books, Richard, because I was trying to remember the names of them uh, because I love that style of game just for the mental exercise that it puts you through. Uh, not because I want to start shooting people in the head, but because it makes me feel secure to know that I have a plan, that there's that there's some level of thought that's gone into this prior to getting caught flat-footed, you know? Well, so. I think that the kind of people that you're talking about, Richard, are actually very different than the ones that Ashley and I are talking about. Because I've actually done some reading on this uh, group that you're talking about, kind of like, like the Oregon, kind of like North Idaho, kind of like... Mm-hmm. Uh, like um, Foxfire I mean, I put... folks. Yeah, it's 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 essentially sort of like anti-government, and and then there's like a lot of white supremacy. I'm not trying to infer anything about your mm, background, right. but there's a lot of white supremacy that interacts with those groups, and there's a lot of strange kind of religion that interacts with those groups. Mm-hmm. But um, I was reading about uh, I was reading this book called Educated, which is about some like um some Mormon people in that area, like, and they were uh, by I think it's uh, Ruby Ridge or something, right? Uh, and uh, the um like the compounds and then the, the federal kind of like sieges, what they saw as being like the sieges and, and, mm-hmm. and, and like keeping their kids out of school because they didn't want their kids indoctrinated by the government and not getting mm-hmm. vaccinations and like the kind of like mm-hmm. um, the thought process that goes into that. And what's interesting about people who come from those backgrounds, even though they're in, in, the, in this particular book, Educated, the father was like a religious fundamentalist and it it does kind of infer heavily that he had like a lot of mental problems, but he was clearly like motivated by something like much more different than essentially this sense of like toxic masculinity where he's just going to like, where he he imagines himself like driving a muscle car like around in the post-apocalypse. Like he's literally trying to create a compound for like the end of days or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And um, I think I, I that knew that's... some of those people growing up, man. I, I knew a lot of those people. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting, like you say, their motivations aren't what you would think originally. Some of them were nut jobs and some of them were just very well prepared people, you know. And a, some of it came from just where we lived, you know. When you live out in the middle of the country, when you live out in the middle of the woods, you know, it's not like driving from Mesa to Gilbert out here. There's miles between towns and uh, some of these people live in remote cabins in, in the middle of nowhere. So there's a certain level of self-sustainment that you have to be prepared for that just kind of dovetails mm-hmm. with a post-apocalyptic mindset. But yeah, and I, I don't know. I, I don't want to wander too far into the mentality of it, but definitely cool. uh, there's more to it than just shooting people in the head. It's Some yeah. people are just legitimately <laughs> ready and concerned, and I hope that I never use a contingency plan, but you know. I was raised to make them. So well, it's about talk? being self-sustaining. I think it's it's being able to be self-sustaining. It's not necessarily mm-hmm. that society's collapsed. It's just being uh, ready to take care of yourself if you need to. Well, mm-hmm. let's let, let's talk about the difference between um, uh, uh, collective action and individual action here, because mm-hmm. I think this is really what we're kind of getting to, which mm-hmm. is that um, uh, the people who are like prepping, like survivalists, regardless of their uh, kind of like motivation, like if they're motivated by fear of the government, if they're motivated by a religious apocalypse, if they're motivated by essentially the collapse of the environment, which is something that I imagine that there's people out there right now who are prepping for that and with mm-hmm. good reason. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Um, yeah. uh, there's there's a difference between kind of this idea of like, well, I am going to um, take my family and we are going to get through this together. And then we are going to meet up with other families who are similarly prepared 
and we're going to create like a colony almost versus an idea of um, like the the rules are off and now people are just going to be doing what they want. And so only the strongest get to do what they want, which means I have to be the strongest or mm-hmm. else because 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 either either in this world, you're either a victimizer or you're a victim. You know what I'm saying? I think those are two. Yep. Di- I think that those kind of actually those two different thoughts break down the types of games that we're talking about. Right. Because can, can anybody think of a game where you, where you play a more collectivist uh, uh, view of the post-apocalypse? Well, there's there's the legacy game which I was talking about earlier, which is more like these, these it's, it, it tends to break down into kind of almost this uh, collectivist tends to be called more of a tribal thing. So like if you're playing, um, this is a real weird shift from legacy, but M, uh, mutant crawl classics, you're actually playing part of a tribe. So you're all together as a tribe of, of mutants or, or humans to working together to try and, you know, help your tribe survive vibe which is one of the reasons i really like it is because it's not there's this overarching story because a lot of these like especially the far future post-apocalyptic ones where like technology never really came back but there's all this technology laying around they tend to not have a great uh framing device where mute crawl classics no no you're part of a tribe you're all working together to try and get through these you know horrible uh uh you know, deadly dungeons of technology, basically. So, yeah, I, I think Mutant Call, Crawl Classics has a place in the conversation, you know, obviously. And I think that it's interesting because because I, I feel like Mutant Year Zero is similar, yes, right? Absolutely. Like Mutant, Year, Mutant Year Zero as a game is basically very like um, very interested in, well, you're part of this group, right? You're part of a survivor group. And um, how are you going to... Uh, uh, defend and um, supply and kind of like work the political interior functionality of like, a, I don't know, is it a compound? What are they, they have a word for it, don't they? Yeah, I think um, it's a it's a compound. It's a it's like your home base. It's a base, essentially, is what yeah, it is. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, what do you guys think of that? Like, what do you guys think about what what that says? And then how does that interact on some level with what I consider to be like probably the finest post-apocalypse game, which is Apocalypse World? Hmm. Yeah, like, well, this, it this... goes back to the, the time arc question of, of the immediate aftermath. You've got a strong individualist angle. The the longer term, you know, you could play something like Mutant Crawl Classics or DCC um, and or yeah, MCC or, or uh, Mutant Year Zero and play the era where you are trying to put together that stronger society uh and then another game that that i don't think immediately crosses the mind uh going further is pugmire is a post-apocalyptic game oh it is isn't it (laughs) and at that point we've got a fully rebuilt society ready to go you know feudalism and whatnot is the the default but uh a return to uh you know feudalist style societies and Mm -hmm. uh, kingdoms and whatnot and and we start to reform society to point it becomes cyclical so what do you guys think of that view what do you guys think of that view uh i because because to me the context that a 
post-apocalypse role-playing game takes place in is really important. And I think that one of the things, like we did this when we did our uh, apocalypse world character creation, we immediately defaulted to like warlordism, right? Like there's a warlord and he is a fucking bastard and he's off in the distance somewhere and he's got these like fanatical followers that are skinning people and shit. And it's kind of like, you're like, well, why would somebody ever want, I mean, the NPC is who are part of this person's fucking organization. Like, why would they like want to participate in that? You know what I'm saying? And then, and then we had our town and our town was kind of like a little bit like like a wild west town, Mm kind of like Deadwood, you know, you could kind of imagine it very easily. Um, and you can kind of see how like, uh, in the aftermath of a, of a, of an event, people might try to essentially kind of like reinstate a kind of like primitive, form of like capitalism or something you know don't know if it would work very well i suspect it wouldn't but um like you you can see how they might try that but what's up with what's up with this idea of like let's re let's like restart feudalism let's start uh let's restart uh uh like what why doesn't post-apocalypse role-playing create new modes of uh governance because it's a group thing i think individually people are good at coming up with creative um, ideas, new outcomes, things like that. But when you get a group of people together, it's kind of like you go with the lowest common denominator and you go denominator and you go with uh, what you know, like you, you want to make it make sense. I think it's human nature to like, when you look at a tree and you try and find faces in the bark, your brain just does that, you know, like you try and find what's familiar and what's familiar is what's always been. So although a post-apocalypse type thing might be proof that that didn't work. That's what we know. So we're going to try and find a way to get back to some sense of normalcy. Well, what what comes with normalcy? Like, are is normalcy something that is worth pursuing? I think this is a really interesting question in the COVID-19 era, you know, because mm-hmm. uh, we have this brilliant opportunity in COVID-19 to look at the world and be like, wow, uh, all this stuff that wasn't working for us very well is is working terribly for us now. So now we have a real opportunity to change tons of stuff that will really on some level ensure better lives for people mm-hmm. all over the planet for generations to come. But instead what we're doing is we're kind of like throwing patches on like old old ideas and everybody seems so preoccupied with the idea of like returning to normalcy. But like is normalcy something that keep characters in a post-apocalypse game want to return to? You know, I don't I, know. I think it's the players. I don't think it's the characters. It's the players that are going to push it in that direction. I think there's an initial. I think there's an initial push that direction. But I also think that like one of the things that games tend to do is reflect things that are easy to make games out of. Like it's really much harder. And I'm sure. I'm sure there are games that would prove me wrong right now to make like a game that's based on like uh, reputational transactions and like other forms of economic uh, uh, eclipse phase eclipse, eclipse phase, phase yeah. <laughs> right there there are other uh ways of doing it but the easiest thing to do and you know even apocalypse world does this which is like you have a, a bar one barter essentially <laughs> that's that's the form of currency like i'm not going to get into what a barter is you guys can talk about what that barter is and i'm going to trade you that barter for whatever i need that costs one barter 
which is essentially one coin or one monies or one quatlu, whatever. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. it's it's still that like even though it's a barter economy, it's still based on that kind of econ- uh, uh, cap base capitalism kind of thing. So right, trading trading stuff for stuff. Yeah, there's always got to be a fiat currency of of some kind, or and I not I guess a fiat currency, but there's always going to be a currency of some kind where we I don't think. Well, in the game or, or just in, in the world? or, or what I, do you I'd mean? say both. I mean, so, uh, I mean, it's it's a question of the Star Trek utopia of economy. Uh, will we ever be able to, as a society, reach a socialist point where we don't want to trade one thing for another? Or will, will we always have to rely on, on trading and uh, using individual expertise? You know, somebody raises cattle, somebody else is good with technology, somebody else knows plumbing really well um one person can't do it all so we're gonna have to have some way for the experts to do their thing and to get something in return for their skills Uh, or do we believe at its heart that society can be uh that good and that uh genuinely um i i want to i want to disassociate it from the concept of goodness because i mean i think first of all i think that there are societies that have actually i mean historically if you ever read the book debt by daniel graber he like actually kind of gets into some of this that this notion of like that that like if you take an economics class in high school or even in college in the 101 level they 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 start teaching they start off teaching you with this idea that like one of the first things humans invented was money because like that way you can like get a goat even if you don't like make goats yourself like say you're the guy who like makes nails you make extra nails and then you give handfuls of nails away to buy like a gallon of milk and stuff like that and what's interesting cuz you know Graber Graber was a genius and he and his his contention is is that's just a lie that never happened that's that's that mm-hmm. was that was that was that's a complete falsity that like economic people economists have kind of like insinuated into the education system and that we just kind of like it's kind of like the uh the idea of the um the the ride through the colonies to warn the fucking uh the colonies of the british are coming you know it didn't happen but it's in every history textbook people believe it happened even though it didn't you know um and he, he says if you look back into like ancient cultures and primitive cultures so much more of like who got what was like decided essentially almost by like councils based on what you needed, you know, Mm -hmm. and that what the experts, as you put it, received by being part of the group was, well, you know, the social contract, like you're safe and there's food here and and we look out for you. Like when you need new shit, we make sure you get the shit that you need, you know, because I really do genuinely believe that humans are pack animals. Like we, we, we can't, we can't disassociate ourselves from our evolution and like people who want to look at human interaction as the interaction of individuals needing things and pushing against each other to uh, get stuff and to, to be over each other in some kind of pecking order are missing the fact that at one point we didn't have these kind of like higher brain self-aware like uh thoughts and that we just work together as packs right Mm -hmm. which is everybody eats like you watch while i sleep i watch while you sleep like we're gonna go over the mountains but we're not gonna go so fast as to leave you behind but we're not gonna go so slow as to get caught by other people Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying and all of that all of that stuff is still baked into us we come up with a lot of ways to get around it does that make sense yeah i mean humans at their very basic are animals and we like to put ourselves on a pedestal and say that our civilization is the be-all and end-all but 
there are still tribes in the Amazon who don't have our way of thinking, haven't been polluted mm-hmm. by that. So, right. Like one of the points that Graber uh, posted in, in or posted, he puts in he puts in debt is he talks about like uh, Native American tribes in the um, American East Coast pre-Columbian, um, which keep in mind that like people this is, again, part of our part of like the imperialist myth that we've talked about a lot and how the, the imperialist myth intersects with role playing a great deal, because a lot of the people who have written the primary like foundational role playing games are like comfortable conservative white dudes who really like i mean the the imperialist myth is important to them it makes them feel warm and cozy but like the fact of the matter is is that like america was a continent that was teeming with human life before uh colonialists came and essentially turned it into an industrialist paradise and during that time the 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 environmental ramifications of the people that lived here was almost zero right we can still find stuff but when you compare it to what we've done in just 400 years, it's obscene. It's obscene, right? What we what we've done the, the 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 rape of the environment compared to what like literally thousands of people who just thousands of years of people who just lived in complete kind of like um, uh, uh, complete, they lived parallel to the environment rather than 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 intersecting with it. And um, these East Coast uh, Native Peoples tribes. Um, they had councils, right? And if you were like, my fucking shoes are worn out, they'd be like, all right, well, here's another pair of shoes. And if you like fucked them up and you went to them and you were like, need another pair of shoes, they'd be like, well, you need to take better care of your shoes, bro. Like no one's allowed to go shoeless, but at the same time, you need to step your game up and there's like a certain amount of responsibility that you have to like take care of the things that you have. You know what I'm saying? And this literally went on for thousands of years, thousands of years unmolested before essentially like imperialism came to this place and then like changed it all at the barrel of a gun. You well, see what I'm saying? there, there yeah. is one thing you're, you're missing there. And the fact is that the Native American... Uh, population was actually post-apocalyptical when the pilgrims showed up because there's a huge there's a huge die-off that happens because of a basically a plague uh mm-hmm. i think it's like 50 to 100 years before the pil- the 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 colonial colon- the english starts staying on the land so their culture was already suffering a great deal before uh because if you look at the uh, the Midwestern uh, Native American uh, cities, like gigantic cities that were in the Midwest, they were all gone before right. the, and the white man showed up. there were Southwestern cities that also vanished, right? right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So the world, America had already suffered a post-apocalypse. And the really, you know, is the the you know when the Spanish showed up and caused the apocalypse in Central America, yeah, <laughs> it was that was like, you know, the that cool. you could say is that's a full colonialist uh, apocalypse happening, um, I, you know, America. You make a, yeah, go ahead. You make you make a really strong case because because in Central America. There was an apocalypse going on at that time. There was like famine and disease and they were freaking the fuck out. And that's one of the things that kind of primed them for having these people show up. Right. Yep. They thought they were the gods because the, the, the of their myths kind of dovetail a little bit with it. And then they figured out, oh, wait, no. And then it was too late. <laughs> it wasn't their myths. It was their religious beliefs. So just yeah. to be clear. Myths. And, I think, that's I think all religion is like, myths. So it's fine. Whatever. <laughs> I think that's fascinating uh, to think about because we 
You know, the idea of like uh, how native peoples like see America and see the history of America has largely been kind of like whitewashed out of our books. And we kind of are like, okay, the history of America, there's like a paragraph that says there was a bunch of forests and some people kind of living in huts and then white people showed up. Right. But I think that's a great I personally, Richard, I think it's a great fucking concept for a game. Which oh, absolutely. Is, um, like like what if there was a game where you role played like native peoples in uh, pre-colonial America, like uh, with this with based just on kind of like the uh, uh, um, archaeological evidence of what this what this what this apocalypse was that went along. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I kind of objected to the notion of conflating uh, goodness with kind of like that style of uh, resource distribution because we the thing is one of the first things is when, when, when like when 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 capitalists want to say like oh well capitalism blow works fine and then I say oh well Native Americans lived fine with in, in 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 harmony with their environment and they go Native Americans had wars just like everybody else and, they, and it's like yeah obviously they were still people I don't think that I don't think that Native Americans Native peoples anywhere. Or any more good or any more evil than anyone else. I'm sure that they committed murders and I'm sure they stepped out on their girlfriends. And I'm sure that there was like all kinds of heinous shit going on that you really don't want to think about because they were people. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But the fact remains that they somehow managed to get by in a certain way that uh, was much more sustainable, was much more sustainable than um, what we've done today. And and obviously, I think that you make a strong case where you're like, well, what we've done today makes it so that these plagues don't wipe us out the way they did. And there's a case to be made there for for technocracy. You know what I'm saying? For yeah. the good of what I call, quote unquote, civilization. You know, sometimes people sometimes people conflate the concept of what civilization is with being a, an objective good. Like, oh, humans need to live in civilization. And if you build houses and mint currency and uh, build stuff and then sell it for other stuff, then that is civilization and that is good. I don't know necessarily that the concept of civilization is in and of itself an objective good. Does that make sense? Yeah, it reminds me of uh, my economics courses where the, the very first day, the, the only rule that was established outside of the normal, like, don't talk over each other, was there are no morals in economics. There is no good, mm -hmm. there is no bad, and so as we and and as we discuss, you know, post-apocalyptic world, what we're talking about is, uh, you know, you start it with the idea of economics and work your way through a new system from there. So, if you remove the morality of what is a good and what is a bad system, I, I didn't mean that more as a moral judgment. I meant that more as a functional. You know, what is functional in this moment? Uh, you know, capitalism worked for a while, and I think we're seeing the the late stage and the, you know, the end result is not sustainable. Um, but we saw the same thing with, uh, socialist North Korea, you know, that was a bad implementation of a socialist system. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's more of what works versus what doesn't. And if we start there, um, then that's wonderful. The, the question that it brings to mind for me is more of a question of how far do you push the players out of their comfort zone and out of what they know? Because I think it's a lot to put on your players or to put on you as a GM to uh, create a new economic system. I mean, mm -hmm. how many times, how many successful ideas have there been uh, over the course that, that we can point to and say, well, Marx and uh, uh, everybody had it right for a minute. And, you know, I don't know who we can say the father of capitalism was, but, uh, you know, everybody had it right for a minute and it is, it's eluded our grasp. So it just constantly evolves. 
that's a hell of a world building activity to try and come up with an entire new version of society. So I don't know that the problems are all going to be solved through role playing, but it's it's a good like Daryl, you were saying earlier, it's nice exercise for your brain to think about. Look, yeah, I mean, the, don't you think it sounds like a more fun way to role play than just being like, okay, it's session one, and I like go into the bar and I have like X number of bottle caps. I'm trading X bottle caps for like a plus one gun and all that kind of stuff. I mean, like, isn't that more the the idea of role playing is to get into and and, and to, to be totally honest, economics in role playing is one of the things that like confounds me and like bothers me so much because. <laughs> I don't really feel like any role-playing game except sort of like the hyper-capitalist ones, like I get it right. But then the hyper-capitalist ones, which are inevitably cyberpunk games, just melt it down into this kind of like, oh, we'll, you know, do stuff to get stuff. Kind of like a uh, gameplay cycle that I find extremely unrewarding. Um, but like, I feel like almost like the point of a post-apocalypse role-playing game this gets back to my initial contention, which is there's two kinds of games, right? There's the one that's like, okay, it's going to be a shoot 'em up action movie where we're just going to like kill people who disagree with us. And then we're going to, there's going to be another one where it's like, no, we're going to try to run a fucking like vegan anarchist collective, you know, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it, uh, there's a quote that has, I've been trying to track down for years. I swear it was in one of the man Kazin books, uh, that Larry Niven kicked off with his known universe stuff. And I, I've never been able to track it down, but it said, the thing about aliens is they're alien. And one of the things I loved about uh, Niven's work uh, was that rather than do the Star Trek, everybody's bipedal and has two eyes and, you know, speaks some form of language that is intelligible through vocal cords, things like that. Uh, there was a lot of like, this is an alien and it's a thing that we can't even understand. It was almost Lovecraftian. You know, we can't understand it. So if you push too too far into a new system, you lose familiarity that gives the players and the GM equal common footing to play the game to make it functional you know you you start to lose cohesive thought if you if you do it at the table as a session zero and say this is what society looks like i would be willing to bet that if you got the right group of people together you could create some awesome system and it would become a manifesto for some future generation to enact but short of that it's gonna tend towards something familiar just so that the players and the gm have a general idea of what to expect it's the classic buy-in thing right mm-hmm. it's the classic like well the people who are at the table need to grok what's happening and they need to be like into it you know yeah. um and and and, and because I, I know exactly what you mean with the uh with the aliens right because there's this kind of like subgenre of almost kind of like uh surrealistic fantasy role-playing games where it's like i think uh what's that what's that what's that invisible sun is probably the best mm-hmm. known of them all where it's like oh this you know you go into a room and there's a fucking guy who like fucking is running this little demi world and his head is a book and it's like open and he's made of robes and keys and uh fucking slug juice and you're like what the fuck am I? and then the gm has to spend like all his time like their time all of their time um describing these fucking bizarro uh non-euclidean fucking creatures and environments and then and then how do you really interact with that you know it's one of the reasons why i've never really gotten into the super surrealistic role-playing because it's like like what do you want me to do you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. yep yeah where's the where's the story i mean we we spent all this time about economics i think really uh you know, a good post-apocalyptic game is really about the interaction between people. Mm. The, the, to me, the that's the best ones. 
and and then it kind of gradients into combat like the be- <laughs> like most of the games i really enjoy are about interactions with people and then it you know and there's some co- conflict that may have uh, a, a violent outbreak um that's why i think apocalypse world is so good is because it's about the interactions between the characters and the npcs and then the yes the economics are simple but I think duly so because you're trying to, you know, they're that they're just there in case you need something for conflict. It's to answer that question quickly and get back to like, well, are you in love with the warlord or not? Like exactly, <laughs> I, I agree. I agree with you 100, percent Richard. Um, I think that again, like and like uh, you were. I think I can't. Was, you or Daryl was saying like the concept of what the barter is in the in in Apocalypse World. It doesn't really matter. You know, it, it can be a chit or it can be a bullet or a nail or it can be your reputation, right? Like your or your standing in the community. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, you know, uh, Richard's playing the battle babe. So we know that Richard's part of his job in the community is to like patrol and make sure that like, I don't know, fucking mutant javelinas aren't fucking, invi- you know, running amok, right? right. So yeah. Richard Richard needs fucking bullets for his gun, which means when he goes before the council and says, it's time to juice up the battle babe with more bullets, right? That's just, he's just spending his barter. You know what right. I'm saying? Exactly. I mean, like, and that, and that, work, that works perfectly. And again, you're right. It's Role-playing games are best when they're like human stories. And I'm, I do have to apologize for like, well, the economics of it is my, <laughs> you know, my, my unending beef. Well, because, uh, I mean, I just really hate the way role-playing games focus so much on economics and, and, and the, way that, the way that they just really truly get it wrong, like 98% of the time. Yeah, and, and I can understand that if, you know, that's a, a, an issue you, you know, really deeply care about. I think that's, you know, it's it's something you bring to the table and it's something that adds to the stew. I mean, I really think that we're I feel like we're coming to the, you know, if you want to talk about apocalypse post apocalypse more, I think we want to conclude some of our thoughts about uh, we talked about horror and cyberpunk and fantasy and Western. And now we've talked about post apocalypse like we need some uh, some wrap up here. Because I think we're we're going to talk about some stuff in the end, but uh, I think we we this series is fascinating to me, and of course I could talk about this for another six hours. So yeah, <laughs> seriously, this is um, this is the kind of conversation that I could like just fucking start popping beers and being like we we could go around all all, all day. It's it's interesting to me that the post apocalypse has because I didn't think I was going to talk about this. I thought I was going to talk about uh, the monopoly of violence and like when when. Uh, Society disappears, the monopoly, the society's monopoly on violence disappears with it. And then that kind of like uh, gives gives violence to everybody. And these games tend to be kind of theater for people exercising that. And that's what I thought we were going to talk about for an hour. But we didn't. We talked about like chits and like do our chits worth as much as reputation. That's which is great. (laughs) I'm 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 always happy (laughs) with the way that these things uh, kind of evolve. Um, But, yeah, let's uh, let's kind of like think what's what. What are our takeaways from a year of like talking about this stuff, right? Is that kind of where we're yeah. going? Yeah, I think so. I think that um, politics isn't everything. And so people who say, keep your politics out of my role playing, that's not possible. Everything is political in one way or another, but uh, whether we want it to be or not. And I think that when it comes to role playing, it's an exercise in playing something out. So that's where the power fantasy comes in, regardless of genre. 
and you get to be something that you're not. So in reality, no matter what, it's probably going to end up settling somewhere in the middle. It's not going to be all bad. It's not going to be all good. It's somewhere in the middle. But um, I think that role-playing games are a good way to kind of stretch the brain muscles and just play pretend for a little bit, like play out scenarios, which is a better way than doing it in person a lot of the time. So, Daryl, you're a guest. What do you think, man? What you, what, after after a year of kind of like simmering on like not only some of like the weirdest politics in at least our lives, but uh, but reflecting against that in like role playing, what are you, what are your thoughts as we kind of close down this uh, this series? You know, I, I really like what Ashley said that um, I, I've had this discussion on on the podcast The Reckoning before about politics and gaming and and trying to keep it out of the or away from the table. Uh, the most powerful thing is that for whatever politics you're trying to keep off the table, somebody is living that right now. Uh, the question came up, of course, I, LGBTQIA plus representation is really near and dear to my heart. And to have people say, well, I just want to sit down at the table and ignore the the whole uh, transgender experience uh, for a while. Well, somebody else at the table might be living that experience and it'd be nice mm-hmm. for them to be able to take it off, but they're not. So we might as well use role-playing as a way to explore those concepts safely um, to better understand each other. So politics isn't a dirty word, it's an opportunity. And that's my my final thought on it is that use it. Use this as a way to explore concepts that make you uncomfortable because it's a more safe environment than going out in the world and you know shouting down uh, people who might potentially want to kill you for your politics. Amen to that. How about you, Richard? What are your thoughts? Well, I was gonna, I was, I was gonna get into a, a similar uh, thing as Daryl. As I basically, I think one of the things that's you know really helped me in my life, and I think you know we kind of talked about it over and over, is it is, and we'll probably get into it again. Is like role playing is an opportunity for you to step into somebody else's shoes for real. Not, I'm not real, real, but I mean like not be like, oh, I'm a, you know, put on a mask, but like even just to think about what the uh, another person's life is like. And I think that's really, if you really think deeply about it, it's like, it's a very, it can bring into, get you into more empathetic state, which I think is, is something is, is always good for the world. I think, I think thinking about uh, other people's experiences and, you know, bring play, you know, being able to play those experiences and go, oh, I see now that I am a terrible mansplainer. All right. Well, OK, OK. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, stuff like that. Like I, it, it's helped me. And I think it's it's you know, it's been wonderful talking about this stuff in, in a, you know, and it with people that are highly interested in it. And, you know. Yeah, I think, you know, we're definitely going to keep doing this, I think so. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. I think I think for series one, my takeaway is and really whenever you're reading one of these fucking books, like there's there's a ty- there's a type of reading that you get kind of encouraged to do and you start getting encouraged to do it in high school and then they double down on it in college. Right. And especially if you're in like a liberal arts program, you're going to spend a lot of time years writing papers about like what is the book about and like when you're a kid you're like well the book is about tom sawyer and then he goes on an adventure and they go well no those are the things that happen but what is the book about right and um 
there's a, there's there's a moment when you're picking up a role playing book and you might divorce yourself from that idea because you're reading like an instruction manual kind of, but inside that instruction manual is an imaginary world and a ma- mathematical system. And whoever sat down and wrote that imaginary world and that mathematical system have beliefs about how reality works and what fundamental understandings of reality are. And so you should definitely be asking yourself, what is this book about? What does it say about reality? What what does it reflect? And what does it um and what does it and what do I what does it reflect about my experience? And then what does it distort about my experience? Right? And then and then you as a player and you as a GM, you have to take those lessons and you have to bring them to the table with you. And you don't have to go along with what the fucking writer said. Because mm-hmm. if the writer is just wrong about something, you have the right to to rewrite that and to bring that to the table and to share a different vision of 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 reality with your friends and players, right? Like if you're reading fucking Vampire the Masquerade from the 1990s and they're like, well, there's this neo-feudalist society that's like run by a bunch of guys with like frilly shirts and wolf claws. And if you say something they don't like, they just kill you. And you're like, that doesn't make sense. I don't think that that would work. I literally just don't think that would work. Then think to yourself, how would it work? Like given the framework of vampires and cities and katanas and trench coats and all that shit, what do you think would actually happen? And then fucking write that. You know what I'm saying? And like, like, like use your thoughts, use your experiences, and don't let some guy who like lives in Wisconsin and like votes, you know, down the line Republican on like every every two years, and who, or who maybe doesn't like even really think about this stuff very much. He just kind of regurgitates the stuff that his like you know father told him or his grandfather told him while like chewing fucking tobacco or something don't let that person influence how you view reality make sure that the reality that that you are pushing through the lens of your role playing is based on real experiences is based on like real thought and heart um that's my that i mean and i think i think that in, in series two because we've already brainstormed something like half a dozen episodes for series two so i think that'll kind of carry us through 2021 um I think in, in 2021, we're going to kind of really delve into some much more specific ideas about how these things are executed at the table rather than more kind of like high level topics where we're just like, well, what is the political message in a horror game? We're going to start talking more about like, like, no, seriously, um, we're all role playing cops. Like, what does that mean? What's it mean to role play a cop now? You know what I'm saying? Like, and I think that that's fucking that's that the the concept of the, the these these archetypes these metaphors that uh we just trade because they're easy right but they're they're very heavily loaded it's it's time for us to start unpacking them and be unpacking them at the table that's what i have to say excellent well i guess that's it huh does anybody have any closing thoughts before we wrap this episode up well do you want to talk about the uh what we're going to do the show real quick Oh yeah, because uh, we're gonna start streaming it, right, Richard? Yeah. That's the plan, right? Yeah, the plan is. Be... Go ahead, go ahead, the, you lay it on me. Yeah, we we talk occasionally about getting an editor. <laughs> the Patreon was about <laughs> getting an editor so we could off, offload our uh, our uh, overhead to that person. 
Um, so we changed tact. So now we're going to try, we're going to stream the show live and then we're going to, uh, uh, take that recording and publish it on the same days that we've always published. So we have not decided on what day where we're going to record. I think we're going to do that after this, but, uh, uh, we're basically going to, you'll see our lovely faces, uh, and hear us, uh, pontificate on, uh, I believe we've chosen Twitch, uh, as our platform, but, uh, Oh, wonderful. That's uh, cool. But it'll also be available on YouTube, right? Yeah, and then we'll the we'll also like publish the video of the stream to YouTube. So, uh, lots of uh, new platforms to be published on, and uh, maybe easier for people to access. And uh... hey, Pastor Richie, you're being too much of a buzzkill. This is Editor Richie. Uh, it wasn't so clear, but we are still going to publish the audio podcast and on the same days in the same places you've always expected so the 15th and the the last of the month now back to these shenanigans see our our faces when uh you know somebody says something we don't necessarily agree with (laughs) (laughs) and uh those uh earlier this year i think i spent like 150 200 like getting this set up so that i could have like this creepy haunted house thing behind me when i'm like role playing and i've never used it uh, my esoteric enterprises campaign is like way too beer and pretzels for it. And, uh, this will give me an opportunity to use it for something. So now you guys can see my fucking beautiful haunted house screen that I, that I made and my, uh, the hair that I've been growing out and working on for like three years. I mean, so these are all, these are all big pluses. I think these yeah. are, all, this is a lot of value added Upgrades. to the, to the RPG. Like <laughs> I'm going to need to find some sort of backdrop. That's just like the fucking bridge of the enterprise. That's what I want. Oh yeah. TNG enterprise though. Right. I need to get on that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh fuck. Yeah. That'd be rad carpet. Cause you got to have carpet on the bridge. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's cool, and this, and I guess that that with that comes, uh, this is the final uh, episode of season one of Full Metal RPG. The <laughs> a next five year mission. <laughs> yes, our five year mission. <laughs> five years and uh, three months worth of uh, of uh, season one. We will now be moving over to uh, season two, Full Metal RPG. Uh, new format, some video, uh, same great. Uh, takes <laughs> or whatever. Um, uh, we hope we hope that you guys will continue to uh, join us. Thank you so much, and thank you for support of the Patreon. Thanks for hitting us up on the Discord and on the Facebook. I know Instagram has been a wasteland lately, but uh, you know, sorry about that. Um, anyway, just always thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening because mm-hmm. uh, every listen, you know, if if we were just if we had ten listeners, we'd still do the show, but we really appreciate every single listener thank you so much for listening absolutely all right well if anybody has anything else to say no yes Mm-mm. have a good night thank you bye <laughs>